You're listening to Pain to Power Podcast, a series of inspirational stories from world-class leaders and high achievers, where you will hear all about past traumas, hardships, and getting through the pain, fighting against all odds, dominating goals and dreams, and now impacting lives. I am your host, Kayla Cardona. This is the podcast that will have you realize your own vision of success, regardless of your circumstances, to unlock your potential. Welcome to Pain to Power. Let's go. Founder and CEO of Fit Body Bootcamp, twice listed on Entrepreneur Magazine's 500 fastest growing franchises in the world, and five times listed on Eek Magazine's fastest growing privately owned companies. He is known as the hidden genius behind many of the top businesses, entrepreneurs, and personalities. His list of clients include New York Times bestselling authors, celebrities, NFL athletes, Navy SEALs, and thought leaders who, tune, who turn to him when they want to create highly profitable and industry-dominating brands and businesses. An immigrant from communist country turned hugely successful entrepreneur and high achievement coach, Federals Coolian uses the stage, TV, and social media to share his immigrant edge and American dream story to help inspire audiences worldwide to reach their fullest potential in business and in life. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Bedros Coolian. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> the opportunity. Um, so let's start from the very beginning. So first, um, where are you from? Where did you grow up? And what was um, your childhood like? Well, I'm actually an immigrant to the United States. I was uh, six years old when we escaped uh, the Soviet Union and came here. So I didn't speak English. I didn't understand the culture. We were poor. We were broke. And people always tell me, wait, what's the difference between poor and broke? Uh, broke is like you're financially out of money. Poor is a state of mind. And I know plenty of people that are millionaires but have a poor state of mind. And we had a very poor state of mind and we were financially broke. Uh, because when you come to a new country, you don't know what your way around. You're living in Section 8 housing, uh, food stamps, uh, getting bullied, etc. as a kid. So I grew up with the, facing a lot of adversity, uh, not only here in the States, but even before coming to the United States and we escaped Armenia, which was under Soviet rule, uh, a communist country. Um, and I can openly talk about it now, between the ages of four and six, I was molested by two older boys. So I share this because so many people are not willing to talk about that pain. And obviously your show being pain to power, I think this is very appropriate that I came from not only a communist country to this country and had it hard, but before even coming here, to be able to go through sexual abuse and then have that constantly playing in the back of your mind, like I might be broken, I'm unlovable, I'm not worthy, etc. So growing up in the United States was pretty tough, um, but I wouldn't have it any other way because I believe the adversity and the challenges, the bullying, the beating ups that I went through have made me more resilient, more resourceful, and I've become more relentless in what I do now. Mm. When you moved to the United States, where did you move? Like what state, what cities? Yeah, so we moved to uh, Southern California because my dad, he didn't know anyone in the country. He just knew a friend of a friend had a two-bedroom apartment in Santa Ana. And so That's that got... That's where I'm from. Yeah, are you? Okay. Yeah. All right. So in the 80s, especially, Santa Ana was very gang-infested. 
And uh, we were grateful that this guy would let a family of five stay in his spare bedroom. Uh, but he said, you only have 30 days. And so literally the next day, my dad was delivering newspapers. By the day after that, he was delivering newspapers and pumping gas at a gas station. So the whole family got jobs. And since I was a six-year-old, I couldn't get a job. Um, I, just, I would go to school and I would come home. Um, and my dad discovered that uh, behind the grocery store, so there was a gas station and it was in the parking lot of a grocery store. That grocery store had this dumpster that they would throw food away, which was expired or, you know, had gone bad. And my dad figured out that there's food in that dumpster that we could eat. And so, you know, milk that was expired but hadn't mm. gone bad yet, they couldn't sell it. So my dad would push me into the dumpster and I'd fish out, you know, lettuce and eggs and bread and cheese and deli meats and milk. And so, you know, I jokingly say that I was the breadwinner at the age <laughs> of six, uh, simply because we were able to get the food out of the dumpster. But um, it, it was an upbringing in, in Santa Ana, and then later we moved to Anaheim once my parents were able to get a little bit more money. We got a better apartment in Anaheim, which was a little safer and less gang-infested, yeah. How many siblings do you have? I've got an older brother and an older sister. So my older brother is 16 years older than me, and my older sister is 14 years older than me. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm the oops baby. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the oops baby. Okay. Uh, you know, my parents thought they couldn't have any more kids, and so they were just, you know, mm. surprised when I was born. Right. My parents were in their 40s, and they're like, oh, okay, we've got, thought we were only going to have two kids. We've got a new kid. And um, so it was as much as a surprise to them that I was born mm. as it was to me when we came to the United States. Because one minute, I'm playing with my friends in Armenia. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I didn't know that it was a communist country. I'm a six-year-old kid, right? I just knew that, hey, why are you taking me away from my friends? And why are we in this country where no one speaks English, where no one speaks Armenian? I don't understand the culture. I'm being bullied. Yeah. Um, so it was a pretty hard upbringing. So, but it was a surprise to them as it was for me. So what was like the hardest time, the farthest back that you can remember in your childhood that really just kind of like you feel like affected you the absolute most almost up to probably your adult years like what besides moving to a different country that in itself mm. has you know all the mental just wondering what's going on and you're so young so but after moving to the US what events do you remember that really affected you the absolute most I think one of the events that I remember is my sister coming home so remember she was so when I was six years old um, she was almost uh, 18, 19 years old already. Um, and she worked at a pizzeria and she came home crying. And uh, she came home crying because the owner of the pizzeria would constantly drink out of her cup to taste whether it was water or she was drinking soda, stealing soda from the fountain, right? Mm. And she hated that. I mean, obviously, you wouldn't want some stranger drinking out of your cup. But yeah. that, that was the conditions that she had to work under. And she would cry to my mom and dad. And my mom and dad would go, you've got to keep working there. We need the money. We, like, everyone's got to contribute, right? Mm. And as a young boy who I couldn't just go out and get a job, I remember thinking, like, one day I'm going to be in a position where my sister doesn't have to work for someone else. And she'll work for me, and I'll take care of her. Because remember, because I'm the baby of the family, my sister and my brother raised me mm -hmm. along with my mom and dad. And so it, it's no surprise now. My, my sister works for me and she works from home. She does all my customer support mm -hmm. for my info products. Um, so I was able to make that dream come true. But that, was a, that left such a mark on me, seeing my sister crying 
wanting to quit her job and my dad wouldn't let her because we needed the money and mm -hmm. this man drinking constantly out of her water throughout her shift um, that that I think that might have been the thing that really pushed me into I must be a successful entrepreneur because I need to take care of my parents I need to take care of my sister uh, which is why I started to think so big and how old were you when you had this when song? that was happening I was probably six and a half seven years old you thought at that very young age Wow. That I'm going to do something about this. Yeah. So where, where did you go to school? Because you said you went from Santa Ana to Anaheim, um, like high school. Did you go to college? No, no. no? Well, I okay. spent 37 days in junior college, and then mm. I dropped out because it wasn't okay. for me. But I went to uh, three elementary schools, two junior highs, and two high schools. Uh, I went to school, um, the two elementary schools that I remember is Disney, elementary school, Salk School in Anaheim, and then I went to Dale and Brookhurst Junior Highs, and then I went to Magnolia High School, and then within five days of my freshman year, got in a fight and got kicked out, went to Savannah High School, and barely graduated um, from Savannah. And, oh, uh, I know. Yeah, I was never really good at school. So school was not my thing, not only mm. because of the bullying as a kid, but then moving around so much, it's not like I me and all my friends went to the same schools. Like, mm. I had some friends, they all went to Magnolia, and then I got kicked out, rightfully so, I got in a fight. Um, so now I'm in Savannah High School, alone again, and it was, I, just, I was always a misfit where school was concerned. So okay. when it was time to go to college, I'm like, well, I'll give it a try, mm. but 37 days in, I'm like, this isn't for me. I gotta I, I got just go, go figure my way out. Yeah, so, <laughs> How was high school for you? Like, you said that you just were a misfit, but did you, you were working, right? Yeah. You're, okay. Yeah, yeah. At the age of 13, I got a job. Oh, okay. The, oh, yeah. okay. By junior high, I was emptying trucks at a, at a little grocery store, like a mom and pop grocery store. Okay. Uh, I would go there before school, empty the grocery truck, and then my mom would take me to school. And then after school, I'd go back and stock shelves. So you're always just such a hard worker, go-getter. Mm -hmm. You just really want to take care of your yeah. family. And then in high school, I was I was kind of a, well, not kind of. I was an overweight kid in high school. And um, there was uh, one of the football players. He was my lab partner in science class. And his name was Dave. And I said, hey, Dave, um, look, man, prom is coming in a, in, a, in a year. So this was 11th grade. And I had the hots for this girl named Nakaya. I'm like, man, you know, I would love to go to prom, and I'd love to ask Nakaya to the prom, but I'm fat, I'm out of shape, like, you're in great shape, help me get work out. And uh, he took me to the school gym, and it was so intimidating. I didn't want to be in there, like, these guys were clanging and banging the weights, and I was like, I don't want to be in here. And finally, I started getting comfortable after a few times, and uh, turns out I loved working out, and my body adapted really well to it, and... Uh, I never did ask Nakaya to the prom, so I never made it to the prom. I was just mm -hmm. too shy to ask her to the prom. But, man, senior year of high school, I looked completely different. And I was so excited about what fitness, like working out, can do, not only to your physique, but to your mindset. Mm -hmm. And uh, I decided I want to be a personal trainer. So it was right around high school that I decided that fitness is my path and I want to be a trainer. Yeah, That is really, really amazing. So... How's your relationship now with your parents? Do you still talk to yeah, them? Yeah, they, they, they live in a really beautiful home in Anaheim, um, and they're in their 80s, and I see them once a week. Mm -hmm. um, I got them a driver. His name is Hugo. Uh, they're old, and so, you know, paid off their house, and everything that I wanted to do, I was able to do for them, yeah. and they did a lot for me. Remember, they risked their life to bring me to this country. 
Yeah. And so uh, to give me an opportunity because they were doing okay there. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, they've got their own driver named Hugo. Hugo's really good to them, takes them to Glendale, where all the Armenians are. You know, you're from Southern California. Yeah. Glendale is home <laughs> of the Armenians. And so they live in Anaheim. There's not a lot of Armenians there. Mm -hmm. And uh, Hugo takes them to the grocery store, to the barber, everything. And the home's paid for. They go on vacations. But, um, yeah, I talk to them once a week. They're really, I don't think they fully understand what I do. Mm -hmm. But they're happy for me because, like, you know, they, they see I wrote a book. They'll... They'll, they'll see me like on, uh, if I'm, I'm on Fox or CNBC, uh, recently I was on KTLA News, and they're like, oh my God, you're on KTLA News, we watch the news, and so to them, that's a big deal. But right. if you ask my parents, hey, what, is, what does Bedros do for a living? They, they probably couldn't tell you. Yeah, so your book, which by the way is, and I'm not just saying this, is one of my favorite books. Thank and you. I, awesome. it took me a while to pick it up. Only because it's called Man Up. Man Up. The title so scares like, everybody. Man Up. I'm like, well, you know. <laughs> I'm a woman. Up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know. But I just, I became more, like I followed you and I just was seeing what you were doing. And um, the, the, I don't, is it a boot camp for men that you do? The project? The project. Okay. Yeah. So I want to get into that in a minute. But I saw what you were doing and I'm like, that is an amazing idea. And I don't know anyone else that's doing that. Yeah. And so I did. I picked up your book. And I literally finished it in two days. I could wow. not put it down. Wow. And Thank you. it was the first time I ever felt like, holy shit, I have not failed enough. Like when I was going through reading your book, I was like, God, this guy has gone through so much. Mm. That's insane. Like it was nonstop for years for you. Yeah. Yeah, um, I got a hell of a failing streak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people have winning streaks. I got a hell of a failing streak. I was like, damn. Yeah. But the fact that you just kept going, like you just did not give up. Like you just kept going was mm -hmm. absolutely amazing. Um, there's a few points I wanted to bring up that really stood out to me. Uh, one was you said something where it was really hard for you to go from being kind of selfish to selfless yeah. because... And I resonated with that because when you go through something so hard and you're just, you get bullied and, and it's, it, it really makes you overly protective of yourself and it makes you very closed off right. and you don't want to open up to people. And that is another reason why it took me so long to open up because I was so afraid of what people would say, how people would judge me and like the things that, I was just so scared. And so, but opening up was one of the best things I ever did in my whole life. And it just opened up whole new doors for me. But when I read that in your book, I was like, gosh, it, it makes sense. You know, I understood that you were so just protective of yourself. Yeah. What was it that like brought you to the point where you're just like, I can't be like this anymore. I have to give. And brought you to a point where now you live to serve people like that is what you do what yeah. when did was that turning point and like how did how how did you get there I, I wish I could say there was like one specific event that got me there um, I always knew that I was cut from the cloth of servitude like I love serving people but having suffered a lot of trauma right between the ages of four and six in Armenia having been molested and sexual trauma and then you get bullied here and you get into a lot of trouble Having, when you go through, like you said, you go through a lot of trauma, you get closed off. 
And then it becomes, you know, how can people serve me versus what can I do for them? But I always liked the idea of servitude. I wanted to, and when I felt safe around people, I, I wanted to do for them. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't my MO because I was closed off. I, I, I think over time, I started, for example, when I was a personal trainer, one of my personal training clients, his name is Jim Franco. And he had no reason whatsoever to take time to mentor me. Like after every workout session that I was done training him, he would just mentor me. And about business, about selling, about closing, because I was a really bad closer. Um, I hardly had any clients, which is why I was a personal trainer, and then I was a fry cook at Disneyland, and I worked at a gay bar as a bouncer. Um, all at once? <laughs> all, all at once. All three at once? Yeah. And one day I was complaining to him, like, dang, Jim, I'm tired. You know, I, I wish I could just be a trainer, but I've got all these side jobs to make ends meet, so that's why I'm tired. I'm sorry if I'm not bringing the energy today to your workout. And that kind of led him to wanting to mentor me. Like, he had, he had no reason to mentor me. Like, he was my client. He's the guy paying me money. I should be serving him, which I was. But he... So I saw through example, like, man, this guy's really investing in me. And then over time, I saw that others were willing to invest in me. And so for me, I was able to start opening up and go, all right, well, if others are investing in me, maybe I, I ought to pay it forward. And that was, so it was a, over time, as more people started to see value in me before I could see that in me, because I also felt I was a little broken, there's something wrong with me. Um, that I'm unlovable, like if, if I think back to my 20s, like those were the soundtrack that was playing in my head. I'm broken, I'm unlovable, I'm, I'm not worthy, I'm always supposed to stay broke, you know? And then you see like these people that are doing well in life who are your personal training clients, like willing to invest in you. They mm -hmm. see something in you, they have confidence in you. And so I started to almost borrow their confidence mm -hmm. and my confidence grew and I wanted to serve others and, and pay it forward. And so that's how I started to become more of a, of a servant. Um, and, and now it's, you know, here we are years later, I'm 45 years old, and I've spent 16 months with a therapist once a week for 16 months. Like, you get to learn a lot about yourself. You learn about all the shit that you're carrying and your false belief systems and your toxic belief systems about yourself and the narrative that you paint yourself into a victim, mm -hmm. um, how it's not my fault, it's everyone else's fault, and then you have to confront all that. And yeah. that's what I did for those 16 months, and um, I think it was the best payoff I've ever gotten. So, <clears throat> run us through that. How does that look like? Like having to, I don't remember if it was either a podcast I listened to you with um, Craig Valentine. Valentine, yeah. Um, I can't remember, or it was Tom Bilyeu. I can't, but I, someone said something about how. Um, there's steps to uh, facing fear. So you have to know what it is, face it, understand it, and then heal it. Like, take us through the steps it takes to heal the process because fear, as you already know, is, is an illusion, right? It's not real. However, it is the number one reason why. It feels very real when you're experiencing it, right? Exa exactly, yeah. 100%. But it's the number reason number one reason why dreams are killed yeah. and you know so if you could take us through like that process those steps of facing your fear and like healing it knowing what it is and healing it yeah i think the first part of actually realizing that you might be operating out of fear 
like I was operating out of fear. I didn't want to be hurt again. I didn't want to experience trauma. So why should I put myself out there to serve others, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you become closed off. Uh, but as you become more self-aware, so the first step to really operating out of, getting away from operating out of fear is self-awareness, to realize like, okay, something happened and it's making me feel this way. Today, the word we use is triggered, right? Mm -hmm. Something triggers me and I feel this way. So self-awareness is thing number one. Thing number two is, okay, I've got to deal with it. I've got to confront it. So mm -hmm. I've got to confront it. So you got to know what it is and that's self-awareness. Number two, you've got to confront it. And it's mm -hmm. not just like, okay, well, I was molested, or okay, I was bullied. And how did that make you feel? And so if I go into how did that make me feel, how was sexual abuse that it make me feel? I felt shame, I felt rage, I felt confused. Shame because I can't believe I'm so embarrassed that this happened to me, like no one can find out. So I never shared this with anyone until I worked with a therapist at the age of 38. Could you imagine like what happened to me as a child, I never shared with anyone, anyone, until the age of 38, like what kind of soundtrack plays in your head oh. when you're going through life and feeling like, man, I'm broken, I'm, um, I have rage, I have shame, I have confusion. So the shame was, I'm so embarrassed by this, no one can find out. The confusion was, am I gay? Did I, did I make that happen? Did I encourage those two older boys to molest me? Like, is there something sexually wrong with me? Am I sexually broken, right? And then the rage was, how the heck could this happen to me? Why didn't anyone protect me? Mm -hmm. Who were the adults that were supposed to protect me? Why weren't they around? So. The only way I found that out is by through self-awareness and then asking why and having a therapist there to force you into those questions. Well, why? What do you feel? I'm like, oh, I feel embarrassed, man. I don't want to talk about this. Okay, you feel shame. It's like, and then I would say, hey, Kevin, I don't want to talk about that. Like, I'm going to freak out. I'm going to rage out right now. I'll just start smashing your furniture in here. Like, I would talk to my therapist that way. He's like, all right. So you feel rage because to me, violence and anger was the solution to a lot of things when I felt those emotions. But I didn't know it was coming from that experience as a child. That's so crazy because that's something you've been holding on to for decades. Mm -hmm. Yeah, three decades. And the fact that you were so angry about it. Yep. I really love that you just brought that up about seeing a therapist and seeking help. Yep. I think that's so extremely important. I actually recently, for the first time, started seeing a therapist Good. myself because, you know, when you open up, it's... It feels great, you know, a vulnerability, like you're like, okay, I've got this, I got this. But a lot of things start coming to surface. And I started like seeing these things and these triggers, like what you mentioned, and I'm like, oh, I'm so affected by things in my past. Yeah. And people are asking me questions and I'm forced to talk about it because before I didn't talk about it, I hid it. I'm like, there's no need to talk about it, that's my past. It is what it is, right? You know what's funny about that is we, we tend to think suppression is the solution. Like, I'm just gonna suppress that and it's gonna go away. So for three decades, I just suppressed it and pretended it never happened. And in fact, when Kevin asked me, and full disclosure, I didn't go to a therapist because I was like, man, I was molested, sexual abuse, I better go and figure my shit out. I went to him because I was dealing with anxiety. I was just starting to get overwhelmed at work. I was dealing with anxiety. I didn't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And my doctor wanted to put me on Xanax. And I'm like, well, okay, put me on Xanax. He put me on Xanax. I was like drooling out of the side of my mouth. I lost my creativity. I'm like, I don't want to do Xanax. I don't want to be drugged up. There's got to be a healthy way for me to cope with my anxiety. So he goes, well, you might want to go see a therapist and just they'll give you tools to deal with your anxiety. All right, fair enough, check. Went to the therapist. So when I'm working with Kevin, it was just about anxiety and feeling overwhelmed and being able to talk through that. Mm -hmm. Over a four-week period, as we built a relationship, I felt safe with him to somehow blurt out the fact that that happened to me. That led to 16 months of more therapy with him mm. 
unpacking all this. Right. Because my solution was, because, you know, he said, hey, you know, what, what happened? Did anything happen to you as a child? I was like, oh, you know, nothing. I was beaten by my parents, but that's normal when you come from a communist country. Mm -hmm. uh, but what happened to me even before the beatings is even worse. And I don't even know why I threw that out there. But mm -hmm. I realized now because I felt safe with him. And he goes, well, what happened to you? And I just started crying. And uh, like, yeah, 38 years old, grown ass man, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm crying. I'm like, okay, this is, and my internal talk was like, all right, this is stupid. Now I got to kill this old man. Like, I remember thinking, like, I got to kill this old man because he's seen me cry. <laughs> like, that's the shit running through my brain, right? Like, obviously, I wasn't serious, but I'm like, he had a trigger. I have to leave and never see him again because I can't believe I just told a fellow human that, that something traumatic happened to me. So he goes, do you want to talk about it? I was like, shrug my shoulders because I'm just crying and I can't stop. And I'm not even looking at him. I'm looking out his window because I can't even make eye contact with him. And he goes, um, you know, were you raped? And I shook my head no. Were you molested? Shook my head yes. Uh, family member? No. Oh, you couldn't even say it out loud. I couldn't say the words. I couldn't say the words, Kayla. And mm. he goes, you know, was it a babysitter? No. Male? Yeah. And then finally we got to the thing. But finally when I was able to muster up some words, I said, but what happened to that little boy, I've already dealt with. Meaning... That was you trying to cover up. Yeah. And, be and he goes, what happened to who? I go, with that little boy. He goes, that's called disassociation. Disassociation. I know right? exactly what that is. That's the first step in creating multiple personalities. <sighs> and when he told me that, I'm like, oh, my God. I can't even say what happened to me. I said what happened to that little boy. Oh. And so the journey of 16 months of processing through all that began. And now I can sit here and talk about it. I can say that happened to me. It wasn't my fault. Um, I didn't do anything to deserve that. Uh, in fact, he helped me realize that all, all young boys look up to older men as a rite of passage. That's just how it is. Mm -hmm. uh, knights have squires, and the squire's job is to clean the horse and clean the armor, and they look up to the knight, and one day they'll become a knight. As boys, we look up to the older men in our tribe. Yeah. And so I just looked up to these older boys, and they took advantage of that. It wasn't my fault. And I can talk about that openly now, but yeah. I, wouldn't, I didn't even know why all that happened in my head before because I didn't want to address it. But after 16 months and a weekly visit to Kevin, uh, I know why it happened. It wasn't my fault, and I'm a better person for it. Yeah. So that all that anxiety that was happening was because of suppression, right? Because yeah. you're holding everything in. Yeah. It wasn't started... work anxiety. It was this anxiety. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's I, I know how that is, too. Yeah. Um, we, we can mask it and say it's work anxiety, that it's marriage anxiety, that it's mm -hmm. money anxiety. But there's a deeper issue that you've suppressed that you need to work through. Correct. And I will take the opportunity to say that I first started getting anxiety attacks, um, panic attacks, mm -hmm. probably about a year ago. And I'm like, what is this? Right. Why is this coming out of nowhere? And it was actually, I'll, I mean, my very first ever panic attack where I literally, when I started reading your book, I was like, oh no, oh no, I know what this is. <laughs> feels like a heart attack, <laughs> The very it? first yeah. time like I started reading your book, I'm like, no, I know what this is. It feels like you're literally going to die if anyone has had this and apparently it's a lot more common than I thought because mm -hmm. I shared it on social media I was getting so many replies like I get that too and I was like wait this is a thing I thought there was something wrong with my heart I went to the doctor I'm like no there's something wrong with me I'm too young for this and it happened when I was in Paris with one of my girlfriends first time ever outside the country I was in a small little like I don't know if have you ever been in Paris mm -hmm. everything is tiny yeah Everything is, and I'm a tiny person, so I felt tiny. Like, um, everything was more tiny, and there was no AC, and I was like, all of a sudden, I start feeling numb, and I was like, I can't move, I can't breathe, I'm like, what's happening to me? And I thought I was gonna die. There and so I, I, 
I was like, what is this? And thank God my girlfriend was like, you're having a panic attack. My brother goes through this too. And she's like, it's okay. It's going to pass. It's going to pass. And I was like thinking of my son. I was like, I'm dying. Like, I can't believe this. So I knew what that was. Yeah. So after it was over, I was completely wow. drained. Right? Yeah. You feel like you just, you want to go to sleep. Oh, it exhausts. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It is so exhausting. So I'm like, what was that? So I went back home. Um, long story short, I was having them a few times a month because after that one big incident, your mind thinks it's going to happen again. I'm going to die again. You know, it keeps replaying in your mind. Mm -hmm. So you keep reliving it. So I realized where is this coming from? And then so I realized it was from suppressing things from my past yeah. and it just started surfacing. That's why suppressing things is the worst thing that you can do. You could never hide from the things you need to address. Never. It will always manifest itself. Yep. It might manifest itself as over drinking, overeating, drug use, pornography, uh, gambling. It will always manifest itself. There's no hiding from the things you must address. And that's, by the way, your subconscious mind trying to help you. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, over here, you still have an unaddressed issue. You're like, no, 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 subconsciously, no, 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 there's something going on, but I'm going to drink a lot. You yeah. know, you're drinking a lot because you're trying to numb the pain. You're eating a lot because you're trying to numb the pain. You're doing something to avoid the main thing. Yep, exactly. So I found out that I would be triggered after drinking. So I actually stopped drinking and I haven't had any attacks. Like I've been, I've found out it's also a mental thing and you don't die. By the way, anyone that's listening to this, they get panic attacks. You're not going to die. So don't worry. <laughs> but it was extremely interesting to learn that about myself. Mm. Again, self-awareness is so big on the, that part of just understanding how your brain works, why you act, why you react, trigger stuff like that. So that's extremely important. I'm so glad you brought that up. I want to get into the project. Yeah. That is so amazing that you do that. And I was actually telling Jordan about it. He was like, can I join? Can teenagers join? Uh, or is it in, just for in men? Jordan's, <laughs> Jordan's case, he can. My son's going to go through it next year. Yeah. Uh, typically, you, you need to be male, entrepreneur um, to be a candidate for this thing. Because uh, it's typically men entrepreneurs who are suffering they're overwhelmed with work. They can't control their business anymore or their employees or their marriage and their business. You know, they, they're torn between the two, especially if they have a family. Now they're, they feel guilty about being at work when they should be with their family. Mm -hmm. They're with their family, but they mentally are at work. And so that's really, men tend to suffer in silence. And I was one of them. And so I realized men, unlike women, we're not gonna go out and to dinner and hang around and do a deep dive into talking about what bothers us. Oh, yeah. If we did, we would be much healthier as men. Mm, yeah. uh, the only time men talk about anything is superficial stuff. The weather, sports, the, the, whatever, the, the war that's going on, politics. Mm. Never do a deep dive about like what's stressing me out, why I'm white knuckling through life, what, why I'm suffering in silence, why I feel like the best of me is in the past because we don't want to show weakness to mm. another man. Yeah. And so that's why I created the project and that's why it just took off so quickly. But in addition to that, it also teaches young men how to become modern day knights, open doors, uh, defend yourself, um, um, have a rule to live by, have a code to live by. All, all knights have a code that they live by. And so my son who you met who's 14 will be going through it um, when, when school's out. So next, uh, this coming summer mm -hmm. of 2020. Uh, so if Jordan wants to take, go through it during that particular <laughs> class, that's yeah. the only time we'll let anyone 
Um, and, and by the way, if you're watching this, like if you've got a kid, a, a son of that age, we're not going to take him on board. Like this, the, the fact that I know Jordan here and I'm getting to know him uh, is, is different. My son's going to go through it and he's going to get the same treatment that these guys do. It's for 75 hours, we beat him down physically, mentally, emotionally. I want to mm -hmm. say beat him down, not we don't beat him up. Right. But it's different evolutions in the ocean, uh, surf torture, working out throughout the night, army crawling down, down hills, uh, hiking in the middle of the night, your, your, your sleep is disrupted. And then we spend time journaling, talking about your eulogy. What would your eulogy be right now if you died? Write out your eulogy. And many of these guys write, I'm selfish, I'm unself-aware, I take advantage of my family, I'm not kind to my employees. Like, that's your eulogy? Well, then let's dig a hole with these shovels, let's put you in this body bag, and let's spend some time in that body bag because that's how you're going to go. We're all going to go in a body bag. You yeah. do realize that all of us are going to go away in a body bag. And I call that the rebirth evolution. And after about 14, 15 minutes, because there's only so much time, air in that bag, yeah. we let them come out of that and it's their rebirth. And then we rewrite their eulogy. So there is desk time. Oh, wow. During the 75 hours, it's not all just work. So there's minimal amount of sleep, mm -hmm. minimal amount of food, desk time, but a lot of mental, emotional, physical breakdown, and of these guys bonding, doing things as a team, communicating. When was the last time these guys ever had direct feedback, mm -hmm. right? Where a, a man will look at another man and say, this is what I don't like about you. You cheated during that evolution. You weren't pulling the truck like the rest of us were. And so that truck was heavier because you were faking it. Like these guys never gave each other feedback. So they're passive aggressive in life because mm -hmm. maybe they grew up without a dad. They grew up without a male mentor and they don't know how to emotionally express themselves and so they they are passive aggressive instead of being direct men are supposed to be direct women are usually indirect mm -hmm. and the way my therapist described that to me is a, a guy will go hey uh, i need a pen kayla can i borrow a pen and a woman will typically go she needs a pen she sees that i have a pen but she'll rummage through her purse looking for a pen going now where's <laughs> that pen hoping that i go hey i've got a pen do you need to borrow it um, that's just how the male and female genders are mm -hmm. but if a if, if a guy was raised by a woman and they weren't taught to be direct because that's not in your wheelhouse to teach them that, then they grow up as they become men, mm -hmm. but they are not gentlemen to their wives. They are not great leaders in business and they don't know any code to live by. Remember, we look up to, there's a rite of passage, right? So men look up to older men or boys look up to older men as a rite of passage. So we kind of created that with the project. Um, you know, my dad, he was a great father. He brought us to this country but he didn't teach me to open doors. Like he didn't, I, I didn't know a lot of the things. It was just, then it was just, he, cause he was too busy working three jobs at any given time. Yeah. So I just grew up and I got involved in uh, police helicopter chases and home invasion robberies and uh, stealing cars. Like these aren't things that I should have been doing. I mean, you wouldn't want Jordan to do that. I certainly don't want Andrew, my son to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's because there was the male guidance wasn't there. And so this is why we created that. How, what do you think about society nowadays? Because we've had this talk, Jordan and I, and like, I'm just going to be blunt. I mean, boys are just, they're not men nowadays. They're, if anything, they're turning into women. <laughs> Let's keep it real. They're turning into women, right. literally right. transgender. Yeah. And I'm nothing, let me make this very clear. I have nothing against that at all. I know a few. I used to work in nightclubs and I used to work gay nights and I made a lot of great friends and great acquaintances um but you know as a single mother myself my son being raised only by me um it is m so important to me to raise my son into an actual man a gentleman he opens my doors he carries my stuff he like you know what i mean so what do you think about society like where it's going either that or i don't know i just i'm 
So the, the pendulum has swung too far the other way, like in anything, in anything. When pendulum swings too far one way or the other, it's going to get fucked up. What do you think happened? Here's what happened. Things got really good. Like, remember, the economy crashed in 2007, 2008, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody was hustling to work. And there's a saying that I, that I love, that bad times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create bad times. You see the cycle there? Yeah. Bad times create strong men. So in 2007, 8, 9, 10, when things were bad, the economy, mm -hmm. like we were having to, and we were going to war, like everyone was standing up. And then the economy got better, 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, here we are, 2020, things are good. When things get good, we begin to get weak and soft as a society. So bad times create strong men, strong men create Good times, good times create weak men. And so we're in good times, and unfortunately, everyone's just starting to get weak, and the pendulum has swung too far the other way. The Me Too movement, um, you know, listen, Harvey Weinstein is an asshole. Bill Cosby is an absolute asshole. You should never, ever, ever do the kind of things they do. Mm -hmm. And I'm appalled by Hollywood, by the way, who is so all about Me Too, yet they supported both of those assholes, right? Yeah. But on the flip side, men got so, they, when we hear about toxic masculinity, like, boys are supposed to wrestle. We're supposed to punch each other around. Yeah. It's in our DNA. It's what we do. Because yeah. guess what? When airplanes hit the buildings, it was men who decided to go to battle for us. The reason we're safe here in this country is because we took the war to the enemy who came on our soil, right? And, and crashed into those buildings in New York in 2001. And so men are rough and tumble. But they don't need to be assholes. They don't need to be predators. Yeah. And so people get that mixed up with... Look, a, a, a modern-day knight is not necessarily a predator. Bill Cosby was a predator. Harvey Weinstein was a predator. And there's a whole list of them, and that's unfortunate. But all of a sudden, all men got painted with that brush, and the pendulum swung the other way. Yeah. I know, and I'm, I've said this before from all my listeners. They already know that I am not behind hashtag me too for many, many reasons. I'll get into later, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I wanted to personally, because when I, when I learned about the project, I was like, this is what our society needs. Mm -hmm. Like, Bedgels needs to come up with, like, a project for our teenage boys, you yeah. know. Go, we're we're working into, on that. Yeah, yeah, that would be phenomenal. And I even thought about, I'm like, you gave me such a good idea about creating something for women. And mm -hmm. it's like just teaching women to be there classic classy self and to be because women now are like because of the me too and all the other things going on they're trying to be the man like no i got this no yep. i can take care of myself no i'm independent like it's some sort of like they do that they're stronger they're trying to prove a point yep. or you know anything like along and it's not for any other we're just confused as a society we're confused yeah yeah. You know? it, and, and what I, happens when, when, when dad is gone and this young lady is raised by herself and now she has bad animosity towards most men because, hey, my dad left, left my mom to deal with some hard stuff. Um, maybe I look at men through a different filter because Or of that. your father was there and he was just, you know, not what the role model she should right. have had because the father is the first love. Yep. And so I am... One of those. I'm an example of one of those. My father is still is still there in my life. However, you know he was the old school Mexican. Yeah. You know, and he didn't show love. He didn't give me um, 
uh, affection. He didn't say, I love you. He didn't say he was proud. And um, it was really tough over the years because I, when I chose relationships, I realized that I kept choosing the same type of guys that my, guy, my dad is. My dad's a narcissist. He's very much all about himself mm. and everything else is wrong with everyone else around him around except him. himself. Sure. So that affected me for years. And I know a lot of other women that have, are in the same position and they're sure. affected by that too. And so it's, it's, it's tough, man. And the fact that you're aware of that now, right? Yeah. Because mm -hmm. look at that, you kept repeating the pattern. Yeah. And you know, I kept doing the same thing because of my trauma, right? And I mm -hmm. kept repeating the pattern of like, I can't trust any guy. I can't trust any guy. I didn't have a lot of guy friends. As soon as I got really close with guys, like I can't trust them. Because of what, I, so it's, and then we become self-aware. You're like, wait a minute, maybe I'm not the problem. Maybe my dad's a narcissist. Yeah. And as you learn that, you absolve yourself from the guilt of I'm the problem. You're not the problem. So then you find a healthier relationship to get into. Yep, 100%. Um, is there, like, what is it today that you're going through as far as, like, um, I know when you work on yourself, it's a non, like, it, it's a consistent thing. You're constantly getting yeah, better yeah. every single day. You're always a work in progress. Oh, yeah, so. totally. But what is it today that you're kind of struggling with just to, like, because I'm sure, it, I mean, you're going through some stuff, too, as well. I mean, always, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, where do I begin? Like, today, I just kind of didn't. Didn't, honestly, I didn't feel like being here. If you want the truth, I didn't feel like being here. <laughs> Doing the podcast. Yeah. It's yeah. not even just, just being at headquarters. I just oh. woke up in a way where, like, I was traveling the last three or four days, running a conference in Arizona. Uh, didn't sleep well in Arizona. So it kind of all added up. Um, and if I'm going to fully be honest, I took a little more Adderall than I should have. <laughs> right? Uh, not, not like a, a nutty amount. Like, I typically will take 10 milligrams. Uh, yesterday, I took 30 milligrams. Mm -hmm. And I didn't sleep well last night. And mm -hmm. so several nights of no sleep and the last night no sleep in my own bed um, and I missed my workout this morning uh, because I had to be here early for some people who flew out from another state for they were going to pitch us on something so it was like a chain of events that and I knew I was going to miss my workout but it was a chain of events that and now I'm paying for it today but mm -hmm. guess what I'm a professional and so whether it's your podcast or the podcast I did before that or the meeting that I had this morning at 8 30 when these guys showed up no one knew that I didn't sleep well. And if I didn't tell you, you probably wouldn't. So, I wouldn't. You know, I didn't even notice. In the moment, like what, what am I suffering with in the moment? I, 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 now that I'm here, of course I want to be here. But mm -hmm. if I had it my way this morning, I would just be like, I want to take the day off, get, get better sleep, wake up and work out, work, out on my, uh, work on my laptop from home, and just not really be around people. I don't want to be the boss today. I don't want to be the leader today. Mm -hmm. And I have those days. Right. And the... So uh, thankfully, I don't have those days often, but I have those days. So today, that's what I'm suffering with. Um, overall, you know, like what struggles am I going through? Well, our franchise, it's a growing franchise. Mm -hmm. And anytime something's growing and the Federal Trade Commission is involved, uh, we're having to always satisfy the Federal Trade Commission while being a sales organization. But if you sell too hard and too aggressively, the Federal Trade Commission is going to slap your wrist for some reason and it doesn't matter if you're subway or fit body boot camp or jiffy lube and so like today my struggles are first world problems i don't have third world problems like i used to which mm. was man i don't have money I have, there's no one to love me like those are third world problems that you need those immediate things fixed right like yeah. if you want to pay your rent your your mortgage your car payments pay your bills first world problems okay so i haven't slept well for three days mm -hmm. big deal because mm -hmm. I, I spoke at a conference mm -hmm. Ooh, you know two people want to come and interview me what a tough life 
right? Like, it's all first world problems, and I'm aware of that. So having that self-awareness, I don't see myself as a victim. Yeah. It's just like, all right, so maybe tonight will be the night that I sleep well. And if it's not tonight, the next night will be. Like, mm -hmm. I'm back home, I'll fall back into my routine, and that's that. Uh, but thankfully, I've got my shit in order, so I don't have any major life issues like I used to. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is I stopped sabotaging myself. Because when you've gone through trauma and you don't deal with it, we talked about how it will always surface no matter how much you try and you know, cover it up yeah. through either alcohol, food, drugs, pornography, whatever. Well, for me, it was also self-sabotage. I felt I was undeserving of success, undeserving of happiness. So as soon as I would see a little success, I would sabotage it. Um, so that was the stuff that I used to suffer with before. Today, I love the growth that we have, yeah. and I love the companies that we're building, and I love the impact that we're having, and I love all the money that I'm making. And that's all fantastic and great, but sometimes when I don't sleep well, I'm a big baby. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I absolutely love that so much. What would be, for all the listeners, what would be like the, the biggest takeaway from everything that we just spoke about or be your biggest message to all the listeners listening? Mm. It's a it's very simple message. It's do the things that you don't want to do. Just do them and do them with enthusiasm. Yeah. Like, honestly, how easy would it have been for Joan to call you this morning if I texted her first thing in the morning at 6 o'clock when I woke up because I slept in by an hour? How easy would it have been for Joan to call you and be like, oh, you know, something came up. B can't do it. Yeah. And he would cancel the, uh, she would cancel the, uh, this interview and the interview before this. Mm -hmm. But if I did that, I constantly am choosing the easy path right? Yeah. Do the things that you don't want to do and do them with enthusiasm. Because when you do, you build emotional resilience. And the number one thing we need on this planet is more emotional resilience because people give up on everything so fucking early. Yeah. They give up on their, on, their, on their relationships. They give up on their money. They give up on their health. They give up on their mindset so fast, so easy, the first road bump we hit. And I'm here to tell you that if you just Look, I did not feel good this morning. Right. And if I was like, well, I don't feel good, so I'm going to have Joan cancel everything. Mm -hmm. I simply could have. Then I would hate myself even more because how am I leading by example? Right. Instead, I'm doing the things that I didn't want to do, and I'm doing it with enthusiasm to show myself that I will constantly push myself in the most uncomfortable positions. Mm -hmm. Thereby, when I'm, when I'm on top of things, man, my life is like I am rocking through everything. Right. And I think I've heard you say that before about self-confidence, like mm -hmm. the way to feel the absolute best about yourself and to build that self-confidence and self-respect is by doing the things that you need to be doing that you don't want to do, but you should be doing. That is like one of the biggest things I've heard. One of you, uh, one of the things that you've said, yep. and I was just like, wow, that is extremely powerful. And that is so extremely true. Yeah. yeah. It's so easy to take the easy path. Yeah. Like, but, but what if you did the thing you didn't want? What if you went to the gym where you didn't feel like working out? Yeah. What if you ate clean where you didn't feel like eating clean? Like, what if you open doors when you don't feel like open doors? Oh, my God. You know how much confidence you would build, how much credibility you would build with yourself? You would build so much self-respect. You would feel like you can run through walls. Yeah. One more message, and we're going to start wrapping it up. For those that are going through the hardships, the pain, you know about it. I know about it and everyone that's listening, what would be your message to them while they're going through it right now? It would be this. If you're going through some hardship, through some pain, just understand that there's the only people that don't have hardship and pain, because even the most people, the people that look like they have a perfect life, they're suffering too. Mm -hmm. The only people who don't suffer are dead people. So be grateful. Dead people feel no pain. They have no problems. They have no suffering. Mm -hmm. And so understand that it is the human condition to suffer. It is the human condition 
to go through pain. However, it should not be the human condition to stay in that state. Go do something about it. Work with the therapist. Go, go, go find someone that you trust and talk to them about it. Go read a book like The Body Keeps the Score. It's an amazing book. Like if you've suffered through any kind of sexual, emotional, physical trauma, go read a book, The Body Keeps the Score, and understand what impacts trauma will have on you. So if you're not ready to see a therapist, you're not ready to talk to anyone yet, read books on trauma and, and try and start working on yourself. But you don't have to keep suffering. It's the human condition to suffer, but you don't have to keep it going. That is so powerful. I yeah. love that so much. Thank you. Can you tell us where we can find you? Yeah, the best place to find me is uh, on Instagram at Bedros Koulian. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate, appreciate it. You. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone else you think needs to hear it. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on all the amazing messages. Also, if you would leave me a rating and review, I truly appreciate that. It helps with getting this message out there and it inspires me so much to keep going and giving back to you guys. If you have Instagram, send me a direct message. Let's connect on there. And if you screenshot this episode and tag me at MS Kayla Cardona, I see and read everything. I love resharing your post to my story. Hope you guys got some amazing value and be exceptional. I'll see you in the next episode.